welcome to The Upward Journey, the podcast ministry of Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina. It's been said that families are like fudge, mostly sweet with lots of nuts. If you feel like your family tree resembles that statement, then no worries. All of them do. Our families are no doubt a gift, but they're imperfect because we as humans are imperfect. Decisions we make today can affect our kids tomorrow, just like the decisions our parents made are still affecting us today. So how do we not repeat the mistakes and sins of our family's past? More than that, how do we cultivate an atmosphere of love for all of our family right now? We explore those questions and more in our series, Family Matters. Let's dive in and continue the upward journey. Don't you love that? They would have made that video better if Pastor Greg had been Urkel. Anybody agree with that? Would y'all vote for that next time? Who votes for Pastor Greg to be Urkel as soon as possible? We're in a series, as you know, called Family Matters. And we're walking through the scriptures with kind of a dysfunctional family that actually started with this incredibly important man in the scripture and this incredibly righteous and faithful man named Abraham. We're in Abraham's family looking at the dysfunction in his family. And what we're finding out is those same dysfunctions that happened in his family thousands of years ago are still on earth today, and we still find the same matters going on in our families. Now, Pastor Greg did an amazing job last week opening this series. Didn't he do a great job last week opening this series? So glad to have him here. I want to get into part two today. Now, in part two, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about breaking patterns of generational sin in your family. Sounds like we're going to have a lot of fun today, aren't we? Everybody said, yay. I could just sense an emotional lift in the room as soon as I say that. Yippee, we get to talk about this fun subject. Generational sin in your family. Have anybody found out that when you get married, you buy a home, you get a couple of kids, that you start turning into your parents? You don't want to admit that, do you? Have you found that out? Has anyone in the building ever said something to your children and said, oh my Lord, that sounded just like my mother? Has anybody seen, I think there's some of the funniest commercials on TV today, the progressive homeowners insurance commercials where they say that when you buy a home, you have a 98% chance of turning into your parents and they have a doctor named Dr. Rick who leads a focus group of, of new home buyers around in the community. And they, they, they encounter things that trigger them to become their parents. They're all in a store with Dr. Rick and, and a kid walks by with this bright blue neon hair. And they all start to say something and Dr. Rick says, nope, nope, everybody sees it, everybody sees it. You don't need to comment. They're all on their computers, and they're learning to use emojis. And Dr. Rick said, nope, 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 that emoji is not chocolate ice cream. <laughs> they're, he's taking the group to the airport to not become their parents. And he said, how many of you have paper tickets? And they all waved their paper. He said, it's not a good start. He said, now on takeoff, no pointing out your house or any major landmarks in the city. He opens a, I'm going to quit. I've just got a couple more. <laughs> he opens a seminar of people becoming their parents, and he said, if you printed out driving directions to the seminar, you're in the right place. I had the greatest experience this week. 
We used to go to Disney World a lot when our kids was growing up, and we'd take them around, and I would kind of be the leader of the group. I am a leader, and I would always be out front. I'd be navigating the crowds and the traffic. I'd be leading the way to the next ride, because when you go to an amusement park, the goal is not to have fun. The goal is to conquer. <laughs> have you ever been there with somebody like me? So... I'm always out front, and all growing up, we'd be walking around any amusement park, Disney or wherever, and Alexa would always be saying, hey, get back here. Don't get so far ahead of the group. I'm like, baby, you got to lead from out front. (laughs) Well, Michael came back. He's newly married. In fact, today is his first wedding anniversary. I'm so proud of him. Um, But newly married, he went with his wife and her family to Disney World, and he came back and told me, Dad... Several times, Becca said, could you get back here and get with the group? And I'm just high-fiving Becca saying, thank you. Payback is nice. We have, when we talk about generational sin patterns, we all have a tendency to become our parents or our grandparents. It's just part of it. Now, for some of you, that's a good thing. For some of you, you want to become like them. You have these Wonderful examples in your family of people who lived righteous, godly, productive, beneficial lives, and you want to become like them, and that's good. Others of you here, when you think about becoming your parents, it is unthinkable for you, and you do not want to be like them in any way. You had a rough childhood, and you don't want to be like them. Others, and and this is probably most of us, There's kind of a mix. There's some things from our parents we would like to take into our lives. And then there's some other things that we would just like to draw a line in and say, no, we're not going to do that. Well, we're going to talk today about how to break generational sin patterns in your family. Now, when we talk about the word sin, I know that's an obstacle for some people, but I want you to understand that. We still believe there is right and there is wrong. You don't hear that enough in a relativistic society like we live in today, but we still believe there's such a thing as right and wrong. We believe there is good and evil. We believe there are behaviors that will lead your life to a better place and a good place and a happy place. And we believe there are other behaviors that will lead you to nothing but pain and misery and destruction. And the bad thing about those behaviors is they often feel good in the moment, but they lead you to a very painful place. Anybody ever had a lesson in those type of behaviors? I'm one of them who has. We believe there is a thing called sin. It's a rebellion against God. It's breaking the law of God and doing things that are destructive in your life and in other people's lives. Sinful behavior patterns tend to run in families. Let's jump into Exodus chapter 20 really quick, and I want to jump into a verse this morning that's very hard for some people to understand, and it's often misinterpreted. Uh, Moses is delivering the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. He's brought down these tablets of stone, and he gets to the law that says, God says, you shall have no idols before me. And here's what God says, Exodus 20 verses 5 and 6. He said, you must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Now here's the difficult passage. He said, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. 
The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Now, people read this and think, what a vengeful, judgmental, punishing, angry God this must be who says, if your parents sin, I'm going to punish those kids. I want you to understand today, we serve a God who is full of grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. We serve a God who loves us so much that he sent his own son to die for our sins to set us free. God does not delight in punishing anyone, and it's not his desire to punish you. It's his desire to love you and to pour out his grace upon you. So what does this verse mean? Here's what I believe this verse means when interpreted properly is this, that our sins affect the lives of our children. Our sins affect the lives of our children. There's no getting around that. Do you know when you have children, there is a responsibility to having those children? You did, did you know that children are not pets? <laughs> we laugh at that, but some people... I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be judgmental this morning. But it's almost like some people want to have a baby as an accessory. That's a human being created in the image of God. It has feelings. It has a life. It has hopes. It has dreams. It has a right to live in the first place. And has a right to live a happy, godly, successful life. And when you enter into a sexual relationship with someone else, the potential for a baby is there. Thursday night, I, told, I said, you know where babies come from? They all said, yes, they, we know that, we understand that. I don't have to teach you that. I meant that to be funny, but it wasn't. <laughs> Not everything works. But if you're going to sleep with somebody... You need to understand there's a responsibility that comes with that. It's not recreational. Babies come from that. When you have a baby, you have a responsibility to that child to raise them in the right way. You can't just behave like you want to behave and live like you want to live. When you have a baby, you've got to stop being a teenager. Got quiet in here. When you have a baby, you don't go out and party at night and leave the baby with somebody else and then come home. Can I get an amen? I'm not condemning anybody. I just want to give some straight-up truth. you got a baby. you got a life that's dependent on you, and you need to understand your behavior affects that child's lives, it, uh, the life of that child in all kinds of ways. When you read the Bible, I used to think this was all garbage. I'd hear people say that about how the sins of the fathers get into the children's lives. And I thought, oh, you just get saved. You come to Jesus and he breaks all that off your life and you don't have to worry about the sins. Until I started reading the Bible and I see story after story after story of how children repeated their parents' sins, sometimes to the very letter, to the, in the very same way, 
We're going to look at one in the life of Abraham now. This is what it says about Abraham. He's this great guy who God's called out, and God's going to make a great nation out of him. Uh, he said, your descendants are going to be greater than the stars in heaven or the sand, grains of sand on the, on the seashore. Uh, you're going to be this mighty nation. And get this, God started to build a mighty nation out of a guy who's like 100 years old. And his wife is 90. Man, that must have been a hoot when Sarah got pregnant. We've never had this happen at the church when the senior ministry group had a pregnancy. I'm just waiting for the day for that to happen so we can call them Abraham and Sarah. So this is a great guy. This is a godly man. This is a guy who God's working through. But Abraham had this problem. And let's talk about it today. Let's just jump in. Genesis 12, 11, and 13. It says this about Abram. His name originally was Abram until God changed his name to Abraham. It says, as he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, look, you are a very beautiful woman. Guys, right now is an opportunity to look over at your wife and say, amen. I love that verse, my favorite verse. You are a very beautiful woman. Abraham said, you're a hottie. I'm too old to say that word. He said, look, Sarah, you are a beautiful woman. You are good looking. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, let's kill him, then we can have her. So here, here he comes up with this genius plan. He says, please tell them you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Have you ever made a decision without really thinking about how that's going to work out? You ever thought, yeah, this sounds good. This will work. I don't think Abram thought for a second about what was going to happen. Because he goes down to Egypt. They lie, and Sarah is beautiful. And uh, they tell everybody Sarah is his uh, sister. So Pharaoh takes her into his harem. Now we got a worse problem than we had before. They find out that Sarah is really Abraham's wife. And all kinds of chaos ensues. Abram had this sinful pattern in his life. And here's what it was like. Something went wrong. He left where he was supposed to be when something went wrong. And went where he was not supposed to be. And then he had to lie to maintain his position in the place he wasn't supposed to be. Boy, have I got a PhD in that one. When you read Abram's story here, does that sound a little bit like you? Please say yes, I'll feel a lot better about myself. We do this every Sunday. I ask a question, you stare at me, and I say, come on. And I've been here 25 years. Does it sound like you? Something goes wrong. In Abraham's case, it was a famine. He goes to a place he's not supposed to go. God says, stay here, don't go to Egypt. Where does he go? Egypt. And to be in Egypt, he has to lie to stay there. So he goes through this whole big problem. They find out Sarah's his sister. All kind of chaos ensues. And thankfully, Abram learned his lesson and never did that again. At least for eight chapters. <laughs> How many of you have done stupid before? Now you're with me. 
How many of you have done stupid and went back for seconds? <laughs> That's why we're here, right? We just, we need some help. Genesis 20, he's going to Egypt again, and on the way, he's at this kingdom called Gerar. And here we are, Genesis 20, verse 2. Abraham introduced his wife, Sarah, by saying, she's my sister. Wouldn't you think he would have learned from the hard knocks of his past that that's not going to work again? Sinful patterns, my friends, have a way of getting so ingrained in our lives that we have a hard time breaking them, even when we get beat up over it. Even when we do crazy, stupid things and go to the school of hard knocks, we go back again because the pattern is so ingrained in our lives. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Any, come on now, work with me. You, you worked with me before. You've been there. You've done that. Later, Abraham and Sarah had a child. They named him Isaac. Abraham's 100. Sarah's in her 90s. Incredible miracle. Go, Abraham and Sarah. But guess what Isaac did? He's on his own. A famine comes. Where does Isaac go? Starts heading straight down to Egypt. He stops at the same place that his father did at Gerar. The king there, it's a different king, but with the same name. This kingdom often named their kings, as many did, with the same name, Abimelech. Same name, same kingdom. Genesis 26, we're only... Six more chapters down in the book of Genesis, and it said, When the men there who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah, he said, She is my sister. He was afraid to say, She's my wife. He thought, They will kill me to get her because she is so beautiful. Does anything sound familiar about that? He repeated the exact same story that his father had lived out. Why is it that we don't learn from experience? Why do children have to repeat the mistakes of their parents? Can I say everything? Anybody under 20 here, can I see your hands right now? Would you lift your hands up high if you're under 20? Love y'all and so glad you're here. Larry, put your hand down. Uh, <laughs> oh, goodness. All of you really over 20, lift your hands again. We had to, can I see your hands again? All of you under 20. Can I give you a wonderful word of advice? You're smart. You know a lot. You don't know as much as you think you do. You really don't. I know what it's like. You can put your hands down now. I know what it's like. When I was a teenager, I thought I knew everything. I thought my parents didn't know anything about the world, and I had it all figured out. And how could my parents, as old as they are, not know what I knew about the world? Right? I mean, they couldn't even set the clock on the VCR. <laughs> Y'all don't even know what a VCR is. <laughs> and I still go to my son and daughter when I need something fixed on my phone. How do you do this? Fix this. But we have been around. And this is the value of your parents. They have dealt with the same generational sin patterns that you're feeling in your life. They have a wisdom, a wealth of wisdom and experience. Everybody under 20, listen to them. 
Some of you are not going to do that. Some of you are hard-headed. God bless you. You're going to go and bang your head against the same wall that your parents did. Because some of us hard-headed people have to learn through our own experience. But if you can, be wise. And learn from the experience of your parents and those who've gone before you. And you will dodge some bullets in your life. Isaac didn't do this. This happened again and again in the Bible. Isaac entered into Abraham's sin. King David, we all know the story. Many of us anyway know the story of David. He was, he was a womanizer. David saw a beautiful woman. He just took her into the harem. David conquered a, a guy and he just married his wife. People say, why is it that the Bible condones polygamy? Oh my goodness, the Bible does never condones polygamy. The Bible describes it and accurately documents that it happened, but over and over again the Bible shows us what folly it is to try to take on multiple spouses. Terrible. David did this. Took on multiple wives again and again. His son Solomon took it to the next level. David's son Solomon had like hundreds of wives and nearly a thousand associate wives. The Bible called them concubines, but that's a little tough. I mean, he's got almost a thousand in his harem. Solomon's life ended in pain and destruction and misery. And when Solomon came down to the end of his life, wealthiest man probably who ever lived, and probably at the same time the most miserable man who ever lived, because he said, all this stuff I've got amounts to nothing. You read through the Old Testament, you'll read story after story of a king who did what his father did. It's all over the Scriptures because our sin affects our children's lives. When we enter into sinful behaviors, we open a door for the enemy to come in. And the enemy will exert a spiritual pressure on our children to do the same thing. The second thing we need to understand is this. Our ancestors' sins affect our lives. Some of you are learning something new today. And you may be learning something you've got to chew on and struggle with just a little bit. But I want you to understand what the Bible says in Exodus 20, it said sin has a pressure in your life and a spiritual impact on your life down to four generations. That means that my sin doesn't just affect me, it affects my children. And through them, it affects my grandchildren. And through them, my sins can affect all the way down to my great-grandchildren. Our ancestors' sin affects our lives. Now, I've heard people say, i got to deal with my sin. And how many would agree with that statement? We've got to deal with our own sin and the things we've done. We've got to take it to the cross and we've got to set, be set free from it. But I want you to understand, the news is a little worse than that. You've got to deal with the sin of 14 people. Let this just sink in for a minute. There are 14 people whose behavior good or bad, affects your life. This is the interesting thing. All of us have 14. Well, I don't believe I have. Yeah, you do. You've got 14. <laughs> well, I just don't have. I'm not that. Yep, you got 14 exactly. 
We live in this crazy relativistic society. Oh, I'm going to step on some toes, but I might as well now. You don't just get to pick everything and determine everything. Some things are just so. If that relativism ever gets into mathematics, we're in trouble. Because when anybody decides that for them, 2 plus 2 equals 6, I don't want them building a house for me. Okay, I've offended you enough. 14, we all have two parents. Both of them have two. And all of those have two. That's 14 people. Their decisions, their behavior exerts a spiritual pressure on my life. You say, how is that true? Well, some of it's genetic. We have genetic predispositions to do certain things and behave certain ways and think certain ways. Some of that comes down just through our genes. Some of it is environmental. The way you were raised determines a lot about how you will raise your family. For good or bad, I've learned this in dealing with families and dealing with children. When children are raised in a certain way, they think that's normal, no matter how dysfunctional it is. Have you ever asked yourself, why is it that so often the abused become abusers? I would think that if a child had been abused, this is my natural way of thinking, they above everybody else would know and they above everybody else would run from that. But again and again and again, the pattern is repeated that the abused become abusers. And it's environmental. That's the only thing that they ever saw. And that's the only way they know to live. If you lived in a household where everybody yelled all the time, that's normal to you. If you lived in a household where everybody stuffed their problems inside and never talked about them, that's normal to you. If you were told, I love you growing up, it's very natural for you to do that to your children. If you never heard that, it's hard for you to share that with your children, even though they desperately need it. Fourteen people exert a spiritual pressure. Some of it's genetic, some of it's environmental, some of it is spiritual. Once you understand, we believe this strongly at Upward. We believe behind the natural world there is a very real and very present spiritual world. And we believe there are demonic spirits at work in our world. And they're at work in our world in a huge way today. And they're moving to try to destroy people. And demonic spirits will work through an open sinful door in your life. When you sin, when you do things you know that are wrong, that opens a door for them to come into your life and mess with you and mess with your children. Now, what in the world am I going to do now, Pastor? You've painted this terrible picture. Am I going to have to join Ancestry.com and figure out who all these people are? Do I have to know everything they ever did? We're going to look two directions quickly this morning. I've preached too long already. We've, we're going to look two directions quickly. We're going to look backwards and how to deal with this thing backwards. And then we're going to look how to deal with this thing going forward. Number one, how to look at this thing and deal with this generational patterns looking backwards. Number one, acknowledge sinful patterns in your family tree. Acknowledge them. Family secrets become family bondage. Things you don't confront, you will never conquer. 
acknowledge sinful past. Don't say things like this. Well, we cravers, we're just like that. Just because all the other cravers were that way does not mean you need to be that way. Well, my dad was like this, and I'm just that way too. My dad lost his temper, and I guess I just got it honest. You may have gotten it honest, but you don't have to keep it. Can I get an amen? Just because that happened in your family does not mean you want it happening in your children's lives. Let me say this as well. It's not a rejection of your parents to acknowledge that they did some things wrong. None of us had perfect parents. They may have done a lot of wonderful things, but they made some mistakes. I know Alexa and I made some mistakes that our children deal with. But you must acknowledge these patterns in your family and never accept them. One of the biggest lies that people believe that keeps them in bondage is this. That's just the way it is, and that's just the way it will always be. You don't have to be that way acknowledge these patterns then repent of the sin in your family come to God and say God I acknowledge this exists in my family and it's been passed down to me now you're not repenting for anyone else you can't do that do you know that you can't repent for what grandpa did grandpa's got to repent for himself But what you can do is acknowledge that that sin is and has been in your family. You can repent for any agreement you've had with that sin in your life. I know that word repent sounds like a slap in the face, but it's an awesome word. You know what repent means? It means to stop what you're doing, turn around and go the other direction. It means to think in a new way. So many people just get comfortable with sinful patterns and it just becomes a part of who they are and they just drift right down the current leading to pain and destruction when God says to them what you need to do is stop and turn around and acknowledge this thing and say, I'm going to break the chain of this in my family. It came down to me. It's not going any further because right now I repent of being that way. People say it all the time. Well, you know, my mama was a worrier. I'm just going to worry too. I never heard people say, you know, my mom was an adulteress and I'm going to be an adulterer too. (laughs) But the attitude's the same. Just accepting what's there, acknowledge it, repent of it. Then here's a tough one, but this is one of the keys to breaking generational sin. Forgive those in your family who've sinned especially if they've sinned against you. That's a bitter pill for some of you to swallow. Some of you said, I'll never forgive that. Let me just tell you this. As long as you hold unforgiveness in your heart against that person, you're tied to them. Forgiveness does not mean saying what they did is okay. Forgiveness acknowledges that what they did was terrible and horrible and awful. But forgiveness unties you from them forever. 
I know that's tough. But you need to face what was done to you and release that person to God. You say, well, they didn't say they were sorry. They don't have to for you to be free. They never repented. They don't have to for you to untie your life for them and march on in freedom from the abuse and the hurt of your past. Forgive. Give it to God. Lay it down and let Him untie. And then do this. Break all ties with your family's sin. You know how you do that? You come before God and you say, Lord, I acknowledge the sin of, oh, what do you want it to be? Pick one. I'm giving you a chance filling the blank this morning. Okay, worry. You wouldn't pick one, so I got to pick. I acknowledge the sin of worry. Say, is that a sin? Absolutely. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Am I condemning you or shaming you? Not for a second, because God doesn't. I just want to help you be free. I acknowledge that I come from a family of worriers. I break agreement with that in the name of Jesus. And by your grace, Lord, I'm going to be free. Break ties. First Peter says this, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, you can break ties with family sin. Now quickly, moving forward. i got two minutes and 19 seconds to finish. I'm going to block the clock. Any bowlers here? That was a random thing. Anybody bowl? Anybody remember the old days? Again, I'm dating myself. When you actually had a piece of paper where you had to keep score. You remember that? How many here know how to keep score in bowling on paper? Can I see your hand? We're a brilliant bunch here. We're we're a highly educated, brilliant bunch. We know how to keep score in bowling. Today's generation, they just got a computer. They just roll that ball and it puts up the score. I remember when I was a kid, I was bowling, and I, I used to be a fairly decent bowler, and I remember I bowled two terrible frames, and I was headed down to a bad, terrible score, and a wise bowler came along and said, son, I see you're not doing so hot here. Let me show you something. He took a pencil, and it, it was like frame four. He said, we're going to draw a fence at frame four, and he drew this little squiggly line over frame four, and he said this, we're going to draw a fence, and everything in the first four frames is done you got a new game now from frame five on. And I thought, man, you know what? I bowled like a champ after that. There's something mental just saying, I'm drawing a line. I want you to draw a line and say, this pattern that is run down through my family stops with me. Can I get an amen this morning or anybody? Can anybody in the building today just say, I see some things that have come down through my family line that I want to end in my life and in my generation. I want it to stop. Could I see your hand just really? I want it to stop right here and right now. It can. Here's what you do. Number one, you deal with your own issues. Whatever issue you're having, deal with it. Talk to somebody. Don't do it alone. Find a friend. We have a wonderful ministry 
that uh, we partner with in the church called Restoring the Foundations. It's a wonderful thing that I've been through myself that leads you through a process of dealing with generational sin and other wounds in your life. And I highly recommend it. If you've got issues you want to deal with, call us and we'll get you with somebody who can help. But deal with your own issues. Now, here's another one. Talk to your children about your own struggles. Why'd it get so quiet? I don't mean when they're four. But you remember what I said, family secrets become family strongholds. Things that you hide and don't talk about still have power in your life. But when you talk with your children about them, you can break the power of them over your children's lives. I'm going to tell you two of my family struggles. You ready? Everybody perked up then. Everybody's listening now. What's his problem? (laughs) Two that were in my family were alcoholism and anxiety. Huge. I look up back my family tree and get to know some of those 14. Alcoholism was everywhere. I'm descendant from several alcoholics. And anxiety was all over the place. I heard a story. My, my dad told me this story. His father was an alcoholic, and my father was an alcoholic at one time in his life. And uh, my grandfather really struggled with alcohol. And my dad was a teenager, and he told me this story just about a year ago. He said he went out with his older brother, and they had some beer, you know, and dad came back, and his, he was helping his dad with something in the yard. I think they were fixing a tractor or something and my dad was close enough to his father and uh, my grandpa smelled beer on my dad's breath and my grandpa said this and I did not know this until a year ago my grandpa said boy you should have looked at my life enough to know that you can't handle that stuff did my dad listen nope My dad was one of those who had to learn from his own experience. My dad went out and became an alcoholic. I heard my dad say many times that he was drunk for eight years. Solid. My dad would tell you he didn't draw a sober breath for eight years. But I had a praying grandmother. My dad met my mom on a blind date. My mom went from a Christian home and dated an alcoholic boy. And my grandma said, oh, well. We're going to pray him in. My grandma and my grandpa prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed until my dad came home one day and told my mom, I'm through. My parents went to church and found Jesus, and my dad got set free from that. And I'm so thankful he did. I mean, it would have been bad. But my dad had a conversation with me when I was a kid. I remember I'm ignoring that clock. Second service, they'll be okay. Y'all, y'all will drive carefully when you leave here with all the people coming in, right? My dad sat me down. I remember we were in an old Ford truck. Anybody remember those old, about 1971, kind of turquoise-colored Ford trucks that everybody had? You remember those? Oh, yeah. We were sitting in that truck. And Dad said, son, I was an alcoholic. I want to tell you something. I'm going to tell you how to never be an alcoholic. And you need to listen to my advice because you're my son and you're grand, your, your grandfather's grandson. If you don't drink the first one, you won't be an alcoholic. 
You know what my dad did? He saved me from that. Because I could have very easily followed that same path. Not everybody shares that personal conviction of mine, but I'm with Oliver Wendell Holmes, the famous Supreme Court judge. He didn't drink, and they asked him one time, they said, why don't you drink? He said, because my mama told me not to. You know what my dad did for me? He broke the chain. I never battled alcoholism in my life, and my children haven't either. A line was drawn because dad talked to me about it. He was honest about his own struggle to say, son, I don't want you to enter into that. Break the line in your family tree. Anybody want to do that this morning? I'm drawing a line. Would you bow with me? We're going to pray today. Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your power, your strength. Thank you for all you do in our hearts and our lives. We just ask you in this moment to do work that we cannot do by your Holy Spirit. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed here in this moment. You make your decision before God. Nobody's going to embarrass you or call you out or single you out, but I think it's time for some of us to make a decision. How many would say in this place today, I look back in my family tree and I see patterns of destructive behavior that I don't want to go forward in my children's lives. I want to be the generation that breaks that. Can I see your hand this morning? Just raise it up high. This is an act of faith. It's an act of submission. I see a bunch of hands across the building. Any more, any more, you can raise them up high. I see things and I don't want them to go forward. Father, thank you for people in this building this morning who are making a decision making a decision to say yes to you, Jesus, making a decision to say yes to your word, making a decision that the patterns that have come down to them and the spiritual pressure that has come upon their lives will be broken in them and won't move forward into the next generation. I pray that you would give them the courage to deal with their own issues, to deal with their own patterns and give them the courage to talk to their children and to set them free. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, next week we're going to continue with this dysfunctional family. We're going to talk about Jacob and Esau and how to not try to turn your kids into each other, but how to raise them as individuals with their own God-given identity. It's going to be fun next week. Hopefully more fun than talking about generational sin, right? All right, it's been so good to have you today. And we're, we're, uh, our mission at Upward is to do two things. We're building His church and we're transforming our community. Amen. Building His church, not ours, not just this one, building His church all over and transforming our community. We always end with two things, a blessing and a commission. So I want to bless you right now. If you would, if you feel comfortable raising your hands just to receive this blessing. I was reading in the book of John this week, and it said, Jesus noticed a blind man. And my whole takeaway from that today is that Jesus notices people that other people don't see. Especially, he notices people in need. And that's my blessing over you today, right here, and those many watching online. I bless you with the God-given heart and ability to notice people that others overlook. Now, with that blessing, I commission you to go out of this place and take Jesus, his love, his light, his word, to a world that desperately needs to know him. Amen. Love y'all so much. Thanks for being here today. Blessings. See you next week. Love you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. 
If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Upward Christian Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.